And welcome back to the Rhizocast this week. Thank you for tuning in, and we're excited to be sitting with you. I'm Sue Hunt, your host, and you can find my work at suehunt.com. You can tune in to the collaborative community of artists, Rhizo Magazine, at rhizomagazine.com. We're a community that shares inspiring work, realizations, writing, poetry, practices around art, environmental justice perspectives, astrology, spirituality, movement, recipes, all things rhizomorphic in the human consciousness. Sharing beauty as well as the deep process of being human without labels and beyond binaries. Okay, let's get right into this week's episode. Be sure to check out Rizo at rizomagazine.com. Here we go. And welcome back to the Rizo cast this week. I am sitting in my gear closet with Toby Putnam. And I would say we're friends, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. We're like acquaintances. We know a little bit about each other. We actually met through climbing, really, is how I first met you, which I kind of want to ask you some personal questions about that. And he's just a pretty rad dude, right? He lives in Taos, which has drawn him in a bit, which I'd also like to cover. And he is an illustrator, a painter, an artist, and he owns a really cool communal shop where he has a lot of different artists in his shop. Definitely been in there a good amount buying presents for family members and stuff. So welcome to the Rhizocast this week, Toby. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. So I would love to just sort of start in the personal space and talk a little bit about sort of how, because you're a unique, awesome individual, and I think we both loved nomadic life for a while, and that takes a certain type of soul. So what drew you into like a creative lifestyle and also painting? Because I feel like there's some overlap with sort of how you live and then how you express yourself. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I think that it's, it's definitely morphed throughout the years um, and been influenced by other artists. I think that we all draw inspiration from others as we're you know, going through our different phases of life and growing and expanding or sometimes devolving depending on how we're, how we're living. And um, when I was younger, I used to just draw. I used to draw a lot and very much in a perfectionist-oriented way. Um, line drawing, very obsessed with M.C. Escher and mm-hmm. some of the old surrealists. Um, and then I got married really young, and during that phase, I think it was, I was uh, able to go to a few shows with my ex-wife, and one of them was um, her uncle, mm-hmm. or it may have been a, her great-uncle, I can't quite remember yet, but we went to a show in L.A. He had a, a show at the Japanese Art Museum there, and cool. he did this geisha piece with this woman that had a green face and orange hair and it was like one of the most like just striking pieces i've ever you know ever seen and from that i started uh i started drawing with a lot of prismacolor just because Mm, of the bright mm -hmm. and brilliant colors of the oils themselves and i think like after that it's it's slowly transitioned from that to like illustration to larger format pieces of drawing intimate detail. And mm. I think I've phased out of that probably in my 30s. Um, I think when 
was really obsessed with the tattoo culture and like the yeah. idea of um some of the old school tattoo t tattooers where they drew their inspiration why they had specific subject matter why so many things you'd see were the same thing over and over and over again and i started uh getting tattooed and, and looking at some of the ways that the bold lines were creating more of an outline around the actual color itself instead of the blending of color. Yeah. And I think that's when that changed for me. I did a show in um, Portland, Oregon with an artist up there named Cheyenne Sawyer. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was just working with um, mostly, mostly illustration that I was razoring out and gelling to wood so i was using these like mm. um, matte gels and but i was still illustrating i was still so was drawing it like lifted off of the wood yeah so oh, it almost okay. had like a 3d cool. material yeah um but when i met cheyenne uh, i approached him we got a uh, an offer to do a show at cc uh, coffee company up in portland mm -hmm. and i approached him and he's like yeah but we're gonna paint Oh. <laughs> and I was like, well, I haven't painted in, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And he's like, well, I won't be doing it with you then if we're not painting. You know, it was mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. So he, he kind of got me out of the comfort zone. I started painting with him, and he taught me a process that was, it was really unique to, I think, what I'm working with now. So I've expanded mm -hmm. on the process for sure, but the original process that kind of creates that base. Yeah. Um form mm -hmm. came from his his method that he taught me but it was similar to old sign painters that would uh, paint on wood and instead of blending their paints they would they would layer them and then they mm -hmm. would sand them off to create the the look of um layer oh, and cool. i honestly think like out of anyone he was probably one of the, the biggest influences on the style that I'm working with right now mm, um, mm -hmm. because I admired his work from the beginning. I mean, yeah, he was just was a genius be tattooer question. and yeah. artist and all around good guy. Yeah. But. And that's like, what an awesome opportunity. You know, I definitely have had that feeling sort of in the yoga world when you, you're like, Oh, how do I get more like that? I love that work or I love the vibration of that, the, and the essence that that person's putting out into the world. And then it's like become a part of your work now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, cool. I think everyone, some people get really offended from seeing other artists like copy them or emulate them in some way. Yeah. But like they say that flattery is a, it's a form of copying or copying mm -hmm. is a form of flattery, I guess, the yeah. other way around. But Well, I think I, I totally agree. I think also there was more intimacy that you had with his work and then bleeding into your own process yeah you know what i mean which i think so there's more depth there than just like oh i like that so i'll do that you know you actually got to like do a show and learn some of the techniques i mean that's super rad yeah it was kind of different too because I'd, I'd collaborated with other artists in the past and he he specifically wanted to do it a very specific way where we approached the show from a space of no ego so mm -hmm. um we I was I was in Bend, Oregon at the time, and he was up in Portland. So we would every two weeks we'd drive to the like government camp area or something and swap. Mm -hmm. We'd hand off paintings to each other. Yeah, that's cool. And we did that <laughs> for about three months, and then we came up with a collection of work and and then showed it. But mm -hmm. we we had this rule that was that was kind of like a a mutual handshake, so to speak. But um, 
said that, you know, I could spend 10, 15 hours on a piece and if I hand it off to him, he still has the opportunity if he hates that or if it just doesn't vibe with how he wants to collaborate, mm. he can sand off of any bit of my work. He could completely wipe my work out and start over. And could you do the same? Vice versa, yeah. Oh, wow. Exactly. Wow. So yeah. it was, it was oh, interesting. That kind of it, sounds like marriage almost. And we did. We, yeah. we lost a couple <laughs> paintings in the process. There yeah. was a couple paintings that were just like, I remember one in particular, I'd, I'd painted this cactus i had been playing with this cactus illustrating it over and over again and um i just had this very specific style of the way the arms looked and everything and i got it up there and he's like that looks like a dildo <laughs> <laughs> i was like yeah it does kind of look like a dildo it completely <laughs> it didn't look like a dildo after he fixed it so yeah. um it was, a, it was a it was a fun process there's yeah. there's a lot of uh kind of going back and forth of we lost one painting in particular I remember he had done a bunch of peonies mm. and I came behind it and did all this like geometric crystal faceted work behind it but um when we showed up for the show that painting wasn't there oh, and wow. uh he was the last one to have it and he's like yeah just didn't happen didn't work out so yeah. it was I it was, mean so cool to sort of I mean, the process behind the work, obviously you can feel it in the work when you look at it, but not always in like language function or deep understanding. You can feel it. So it's cool to hear like that's a whole nother level of collaboration. And I think that also takes a certain kind of soul to be able to collaborate that deeply and to not always claim 100% ownership over your creation. Mm -hmm. You know, can you speak to that a little bit sort of in your own process? And you have a great um, like container now that allows so many different artists into your space, right? And it's not just you selling your work. And I think that also speaks to a really mature level of collaboration where you feel rooted in your own creativity and there isn't that, this is my shit, you know? There isn't that type of uh, like... Yeah, I don't know how else to put it into words, but yeah. hopefully the listener gets that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's just it's it's just ego. It's yeah. I think artists, every artist, you have to almost tell yourself you're the best in your own field, just mm, to, to be able to yeah. create. In a sense, you have mm -hmm. to have like that overconfidence, just because I. I question everything mm -hmm. in in the work itself. It's like you create something and then you stare at it long enough, you can you can definitely hate it within <laughs> a couple hours after finishing it yeah. and spending hours and hours on it. So um, I think the thing about the Lunoho space was it's just, it's kind of evolved on its own. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've let, let it, I've stepped away from it and let it evolve to how it's supposed to be instead of trying to force it to be anything specific because landing in Taos was kind of monumental and yeah, just let's the time pause of, there because yeah. i'd love to know because i felt the same dan and i crossed the bridge we were nomadic we had been traveling for three years and we didn't even speak we just knew we were going to stay here yeah so i'm so curious like why did that draw you here and you're rooted you've got a shop you're a business owner so you're really here now yeah it was it was interesting it was I actually tried to get out here about eight years ago, a little under eight years ago. Um, my brother passed, and I mm -hmm. kind of... Older or younger? He was older. Okay. He was three years older, and mm -hmm. kind of spent me into a, or sent me into a tailspin of 
not knowing what the hell to do and knowing that I had to change things drastically. It was, mm-hmm. um, I was living in Salt Lake City at the time and I had a big business. I'd been through a divorce, about two years out of a divorce and um, just really unhappy. Yeah. I was just really depressed and, and not not where I wanted to be with my life. And then he passed and it was kind of a wake-up call to check in with that and I kind of manically made the decision to just give everything away and mm-hmm. and walk away from my business and hit the road. I I think I made the excuse honestly. I told a bunch of my clients that my my dad had developed cancer again and I had to go take care of him. Yeah. So I lied to him, you know. I I told him to save face because mm-hmm. everyone thought I was crazy, you know, yeah. walking away from this business that I I'd had for feeling. 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So I hit the yeah, road but and when you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there was there was no doubt. It was mm-hmm. just like I had to get out of there. It was almost like an escape mm-hmm. feeling, fight or flight. Um, so I was on the road for a long time and in and out of renting places, you know, during the winter time, living in my van. And all throughout those travels, I initially tried to go to Taos because I had heard from so many people that, like, you yeah. belong in Taos, you belong in Taos. I kept hearing <laughs> that over and over again. And I had a kind of a fantastical view of it, an idea of right. what it would be, but I didn't really know until you don't know that until you actually land here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like this was the first time in about seven years that I actually chose to put roots mm-hmm. into a place and to kind of slow things down, allow all the train cars to catch up, and yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. But Taos was interesting. I landed and. Um, I kind of had chosen a few different places to check out, and here I I spent oh, about two and a half months sleeping kind of out on the Manby uh, Hot Springs Mesa there. Yeah, cool. In my van, just like seeing some of the most amazing sunsets, and mm-hmm. <laughs> all my campmates out there were kind of doing the same thing. They were this nomadic lifestyle and trying to figure out if this was the place for them or if they were moving on to others. And mm-hmm met some great people and then I came into farmer's market and the first thing was like amazing dogs there was just like all these scrappy cool dogs everywhere Uh and then really dirty but beautiful people Mm -hmm. and that's the only way I was like (laughs) described the farmer's market as like everyone kind of has this grit Mm -hmm. look to them but they're so gorgeous and beautiful healthy and uh so then I walked past the space that I'm in now currently and um there was a real real estate uh, sign in the mm-hmm. window, and I noticed the number on the building. It was 111. So, and it's it's been a number that's been kind of consistently in my focus, in my uh, what's the what's the word for it? It's just in in, in a way guided, yeah, mm-hmm. and pushed and prodded and little signals here and there. And so when I initially got in, it was. Uh, it just felt really synchronistic and almost like it was supposed to happen, but yet mm-hmm. a lot of mystery around it. Like, what the hell am I going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So when you saw the space, you didn't have the vision for the shop yet, or it was sort of in your mind, or it just really all kind of collided in this time-space juncture of being here in Taos. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't honestly have any kind of vision for it other than cool. I wanted my own studio again. Mm. outside of my van i'd been painting on park benches and 
setting up space in friends' houses. And, yeah. Um, I had kind of come off a, a really hard year of, you know, COVID isolation mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Um, moving back to Montana to try to fulfill a contract that I'd gotten on the road that was it's just life-changing, but then ended due to COVID. So it was, mm. it was kind of a, I just, I just wanted to create. And, yeah. and I thought initially it was just going to be my art studio and my gallery and I'd yeah. showcase my own work. And it evolved from there. I think like sitting in the space and staring out onto, um, Paseo mm -hmm. and just realizing like, this is, this is the main thoroughfare to the Pueblo to, totally house itself it. to the plaza yeah. and it just felt super selfish to have just such a solo focus on my own work mm -hmm. it was like this this is a storefront for the people of taos that should be it almost felt like it was gifted to me yeah but um so that's when i decided i was just going to be open to kind of whatever came through the door and that's kind of what's mm -hmm. happened with a lot of the art that's in there, um, a lot of local work that we have and share. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. They've either come in as customers to check out the space and and offer to share their work, and then it just it immediately fit with the, you know, the curation of the space mm -hmm. or yeah. um, some other way that was synchronistic in that way too. Yeah, that's super cool. I think it's also so interesting to see the work people create and then sort of the lives behind it like we all do so many things even though this creation is our lifeblood right they're coming in to sort of shop and see and then like oh yeah. like maybe my stuff could fit in here too you know and that there's just like such complex people behind that you know which i just absolutely love and i think that it's amazing to hold um sort of an energetic container for that you yeah. know um, I think I came and checked it out after I had met you at the Craig. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. But I'm like hermited and not much of a shopper unless I have a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. And it's funny, most of the artists that have been represented in that space now, it's like the same. It's like you oh, see them cool. maybe every so often when they need to restock or something like that, and then they yeah. go back into their hermiting and creating, and, <laughs> and that's something... It's it's kind of unique to Taos for sure because mm -hmm. it's a it's a place of silence I think for a lot of people too totally. they've they've come here looking for some of the same things that others have I mean whether that's healing whether that's like just slowing down or or mm -hmm. just um, the idea of small smallness and the sense of community that's that is yeah. here um, yeah I totally resonate with that I feel like it's a um, it was a place of spiritual focus. I think before I got here, my little mind was just all over the consciousness map of like, you could do, why not? How about this? You know? And then right when I settled here, it was like, ah, oh, that's what you do. Yeah. You know, mm, maybe let's not do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe let's just see what happens, you know, is a totally different body mind current coming right. through. Yeah. So I'd love to just take it back and talk a little bit about sort of your upbringing and, you know, I think that there is a sense of um, suffering and realization if you're willing to use your hands, your voice, your um, creative skill in any way that that actually is uh, moving energy to say like, okay, 
moving this stuff out. You know, it doesn't have to be as deliberate as that. So I'd love to know a little bit about sort of your past and sort of the highs and lows of what has led to this deep understanding that I've got to create just how you said, I want a studio. Like I need to have more stability here so I can create, even though you were doing that in your van. So a little bit of the highs and lows there that motivates you to do that. Um, upbringing, um, was raised, born and raised in Montana. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and my, my dad was kind of the guy that, uh, he liked to start businesses, bring them to a certain point and then sell them. He was very, I think, I think I get that nomadic spirit a lot from him. Mm -hmm. Um, but we moved around a lot. I mean, like, I, I mean, I can't even honestly tell you right here sitting, I'd have to count it out. Um, how many different homes we lived in in Montana. Mm. My childhood um, was similar too, like yeah. 30 homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and there was, uh, you know, anywhere from like ranch living, you know, with animals and um, very peaceful and more rural setting to living in uh, almost like a New York loft apartment in the the downtown of Montana, a small town. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of got to experience all of that, but, uh, we were raised in a really religious environment. So it was, uh, I don't know how else to describe it other than very authoritarian and mm -hmm. black and white and unbalanced in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I think I've come to that, that full circle of like bitterness um, anger, resentment yeah. to just appreciating and loving. Um, I think more so on my father's side of things. Cause I mean, I, I see the way that he was raised and the way that he yeah. was raised in this very perfectionist oriented environment and watching the way that my brother spiraled out in his even preteen mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. he was taken from the house when he was about 12 by the state. Cause he had a lot of drug and alcohol issues at that point. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it was, uh, kind of a turning point, I think for me and just like my consciousness of like where I was at in my own spiritual mm -hmm. environment. Like, who was I? Do I believe in what I'm being taught? Do I, um, have any of these same sentiments that my parents are trying to, trying to teach me? And, and then I lost my best friend when I was 15. He was, um... He passed in a in an accident backpacking. He fell off of a cliff up in the wow, yeah, in the wilderness there in Montana, and it was eye opening. It was just kind of like, for the first time, I was like I'd, I'd been taught over and over again like this absolute truth. This mm. you know this just this is the truth. No one else has it. Um, this is the way God is. This is the way the world works. This is what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, all these like very very absolutes. And for the first time, I was like, "Well, if there's God, you know, like, wh what the fuck? <laughs> where, yeah. where did, where did, where, where was he when my best friend just died? Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of like a, I don't get it. I don't know if I'd necessarily believe that there can be a loving God that would allow, yeah, this this friend of mine to pass that way. So it was it was interesting because I, I I got back into, I. I think, like, emotionally and mentally, I left in that moment, like, when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And then I met my ex-wife. Um, we're pretty young, too. I was 19 when I met her, and she was a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. And 
I decided, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm a Jehovah's Witness too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we shared a lot of uh, you know really beautiful moments and memories within our marriage of even within the religion. I mean, there is a, there's a yeah. lot of beautiful things within all religions. You know, you can Agreed. pick yeah. them apart and find really beautiful things. But as a whole, I think like about three years into our marriage, another really uh, traumatic event happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sent me to kind of into a PTSD spiral. And it, it mm-hmm. suffered with a lot of mental health issues. And, um, and were you in Salt Lake working through all of this time? Yeah, yeah. I worked okay. through it all. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I think the thing with like organized religion, and this is something I'm finding out on the other side of it for sure, is that friends that I've talked to, not just not just the religion I was raised in, but a lot, have yeah. this same theme of like hiding who you are in mm-hmm. order to create an appearance of spirituality or... or mm-hmm. um, I do sessions um, with this brilliant woman who's studying for her PhD about PTSD from intense religion Mm -hmm. and writing her dissertation on basically identity shape-shifting and how you can do that after having so much intense programming like that. Like, so that there is a safe haven in some way that people can seek that information. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty brilliant. There's a lot of beautiful things that are coming out right now with PTSD too, and it's it's interesting because within within going back to that 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 kind of like hiding aspect of it, mm-hmm. um, I was you don't you aren't taught in any way to seek outside help. Everything comes from internally. You're you're wow. you're seeking the help of That's so the confusing. older men of the yeah. of the congregation itself. You're supposed to go talk to the elders, or you're supposed to, um, in no way seek worldly wisdom. That mm. was I think mm-hmm. that was the terminology, and I think like I needed it. I absolutely needed it, and and and, and instead of seeking professional help. Um, I basically just buried everything that I was feeling because I didn't want to present myself to my friends because they saw what I went through and they they were scared. I mean, yeah. they were scared of like kind of the transition of what I had experienced. They didn't want to talk to me about it because it was pretty horrific. And, mm-hmm. and it was just, uh, I don't know how to explain it other than you're, you're kind of hiding who you are for years on end and eventually it catches up with you. Yeah. And, uh, Eventually I did. I actually sought more counseling and more therapeutic help in a cognitive way mm-hmm. outside of the religion, outside of my marriage than any of that time period during it. So yeah, yeah I met a really beautiful woman in Salt Lake City that um, I met her at a tea grotto that I was helping design and build. And um, she started talking to me about rapid eye therapy Mm. And, oh yeah, EMDR, yeah. Yeah, and I was That's I had no idea. That's on my list <laughs> to get certified in that. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Incredible. Yeah. And probably one of the only things that helped me. Yeah. Um out of anything that uh, I tried. I'm just like <laughs> butterflies, stomach, heart. Yeah. Well, yes. It's funny cuz like I, yeah. I went to her. She 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 basically kind of had to coerce me into being come seeing her, to come see her because I, you know, I'd spent so many years of my life in this state of like mm-hmm. no you don't you don't just just pray about it it'll go yeah. away you know that kind of aspect of looking at things and so I finally went to see her and she uh, she was like I want full honesty 
You know, I want you to come in here with brutal honesty. You can say whatever you want. This is a safe space. And and I felt safe with her. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that she was trying to coerce me into to like being ill in order to pay her uh, or give her money. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I've, I've felt that with other, you know, practitioners yeah. of, of certain types. And we f- did the first session and, you know, she's waving this wand around and you're in this closed space and you're doing heavy breath work and um, um, speaking of trauma and then releasing trauma in this state of um, mm-hmm. cognitive, I don't know, dissonance or whatever. Yeah. And I, I was like, this is a bunch of woo-woo bullshit. Like, I, I really feel like this is absolute garbage. I don't feel any different whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I feel irritated that I had to, like, <laughs> sit in front of you while you wanted me yeah. in front of my face. And and uh, she's like, okay, I completely respect that. Come back and uh, give me at least four months. Like, mm-hmm. give me a dedication of four months. And so... Every time she'd have me count me down, she'd be like, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're coming in here, how are you feeling today? And I'd be, oh man, I'm feeling spun out, I feel mm-hmm. sad, I feel isolated, I feel angry, I feel all these like really negative emotions. And she's like, all right, let's do this. And then she'd be, at the end of the session, you know, she'd, what's, what's your number? Mm-hmm. And I'd give her a number. And like the first probably five sessions, I'd always give her, like I still feel ten, because I did, and then, yeah, yeah. and then, and then there you was like a honest. shift. There was a yeah. shift, a, like a literal shift of like um, she made a comment to me, like, okay, cognitively, like when you're approaching anything cognitively, you can have um, a reaction almost like a sugar pill. Mm-hmm. So we can give you, you know, five different patients um, the same blue pill, but one of them is 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 not the pill right yeah and she said your mind has more power than you actually realize Mm -hmm. so whether or not you're actually going to accept this treatment and allow it to infiltrate and help is up to you and how much openness you give it so when i when i actually opened myself up to the idea that i had the power over myself that's it felt like this more Mm -hmm. i don't know how to describe it but it was like a, a shift in the the consciousness of being able to heal my own self with my own mind with the help of her guiding me through that and that that i think that was the big shift in the Mm -hmm. the therapy sessions for me where um maybe a little bit too much of my own ego but i still it felt good to be able to have a little more control over Mm -hmm. what i was doing yeah well, I think it goes both ways, sort of what you were just describing, sort of outsourcing your revelation or information or worldview, right, to elders or to the church or something like that. And then that also creates such a uh, ego structure, right? And then you have to learn a different ego structure right. <laughs> to actually say like, no, this is in me, you know, I have the ability to change my perception at any moment at any moment that sounds super new agey <laughs> but maybe you gotta have a lot of moments working on that one moment <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> to actually change that sort of relationship to your own ego structure but yeah that sounds like so beautiful i'm so happy that that woman came into your life you know sometimes we have those uh like angel like goal posts almost that just are like thank the lord 
Yeah. Yeah. Pun intended. Huh? That <laughs> this person <laughs> stepped in, you know. Yeah. yeah. She, she was also someone that like facilitated that idea of, of, uh, being aware that like, okay, like I, I, I literally went into this therapy with her, this idea that I'd come in and I'd do 10 sessions and then I'd be fixed. Yeah. You know, I'd just be fixed forever. But she's like, this is just a facilitator to get you on, on the track to healing. And she said, your healing is going to actually be with you the rest of your life. It's something mm-hmm. that you're going to have to constantly check in with. And yeah, you'll have right. these moments of spiral or triggers or just mm-hmm. really fucking up and then coming back into it and being like, oh man, I really don't want to be that person or mm-hmm. um, I don't want to act that way or react that way. Totally. And I want to change and shift. Yeah. Yeah, and at this point in my own sort of meta-dialogue, I notice those as, uh, I wouldn't say I'm excited when they arise, but I'm certainly like, yo, dude, mm-hmm. what's up? You know, before it becomes sort of this, like, dark abyss of despair, you know? So it's like, that is, you're like, oh, yeah, it's working. It worked. I could go into the dark abyss of despair but now i'm saying like no thanks no thanks i'm just gonna step back a bit yeah but i think that that's such a um also a big part of the creative process you know sometimes when i get into those moments i'm like why am i not writing why am i not climbing why am i not spending more time in nature why am i not creating more work you know why am i not connecting with other creatives that are actually doing it better than me Right. You know, being in that sort of an environment. And it seems like you've really built that environment here and around you. So I think that also speaks to sort of how you're um, moving through the world and attracting people towards you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of my favorite parts about that space is getting to hear each individual artist's story. I mean, I don't know each individual, like, really super well in the store, but, like, some of them have came in and gotten to share their personal journeys to a degree. And then mm-hmm. also like how they create or why they're creating or the inspiration that's behind what they've created and that. And then in turn, I get to share that with tourists and yeah. strangers and people that are asking. I get to tell like a little tidbit story of each individual artist and it feels less selfish. It feels less ego oriented where I'm like just, pushing my own Mm. stuff all the time I actually get to share the work of someone else and be highlighting them and it takes all the pressure off your own yeah I think creative process so you're a little bit more open and free to Mm. let something Mm -hmm. come that's actually supposed to flow through you instead of forcing it yeah yeah I mean that's such a great point you know so what are some of your internal tells of how you know you're letting it flow or you're forcing it Forcing it um, generally looks like looking at the, I think, the landscape of what's happening in the world, in the design world, or the art world, or Mm -hmm. what's selling, or who's popular, or Instagram is, it's such a a beautiful thing, and (laughs) such a disease. (laughs) So, I mean, like, comparison is the thief of joy, and the thief of creativity, because the minute you start to compare yourself to another artist that you really admire, or... Or someone that's selling their work like crazy, or, yeah, supposedly. It's destructive. It is, it is in every way. So, 
Um, for me, flow is, I think, I don't, I, I create differently. It's like I have a few friends that uh, are incredible painters that even are, that show their prints in the gallery and things like that. And I, I watch this creation process of like laying out an entire like 10 foot by 10 foot painting and like mm -hmm. just having every detail planned out. And I think for the past five years of my life, it's been like this, the ones, at least the paintings that I feel the most proud of, it starts with one image. And mm -hmm. not and a kind of a generalized idea of what I want to do, but like I could come into a painting and want to, <coughs> excuse me, paint a horse mm -hmm. and have this idea of like painting a horse head and, and, and then all of a sudden you start working around that and it completely morphs into a completely different animal or a different subject or whatever. But That's cool. usually one subject yeah. and then that, that, subject um flows into the entire painting it's it's never planned out mm -hmm. um it's really hard and to do that and are you like pretty i think this is always just so awesome to hear you know because i think if you want to start an art endeavor of any sort there's like all these preconceived notions so like do you set time aside or do you just like no today's the day yeah i i I think it's today's the day, and yeah. it's in the moment. It has to be, otherwise, it I en end up throwing them out, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, destroying them. Or like I had this, I have this one particular painting in the gallery right now of a horse with a bunch of very gun smoky waves coming underneath it, mm -hmm. and that painting was so forced to begin with. It, mm -hmm. it started out with like um, a bunch of southwestern elements that i had put behind it and uh, that i had kind of tried to copy and emulate from another artist and mm -hmm. didn't feel right mm -hmm. sanded that all off then i tried another thing sanded that all off Sa mm -hmm. I, I think i sanded it off completely um three different times until it finally evolved into what it was supposed to be but it was that in itself is yeah it also teaches you that sometimes things aren't permanent they don't have to be mm -hmm. like this specific way we can create however we want to mm -hmm. totally totally yeah i love that feeling with writing even though i put it in print i'm just like well that was a version of me at that time right okay great not ashamed of it not worried about it still doing its thing out there in the world but now i'm gonna do something else you mm -hmm. know <laughs> yeah Okay, cool. So any sort of last things you'd love to share with us about your self-identity and the way that it supports your creative process, your store, or anything in the future? I know that was a big question. <laughs> yeah, so much. Um, I don't know. I think the thing that I'm going through right now is just the willingness to reevaluate. Mm -hmm. and not have such a set outcome for anything in particular. But um, right after my brother passed, I was kind of spiraling and scared to leave yeah. Salt Lake, scared to leave stability, scared to kind of push out in the unknown. And I had this reading from a lady that came to a garage sale mm -hmm. <laughs> and bought a desk from me. And she's like, I'm an astrologer. And I'd love to read your cards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it was just, yeah, it was, I kind of went into it with like... Yeah, you're Sagittarius rising, so you are definitely putting out the intellectual, spiritual quest, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I uh, 
I went over there and and I had this reading with her and she's like, okay, you're, you're leaving and this is probably going to be the most influential year of your life. Mm-hmm. And she's, she said, you're going to experience things that you've never experienced. And if you approach them from like a very, I don't know, rigid structure, like this wooden wall, mm-hmm. um, these things that you're going to experience are going to shatter you and just break you and, and splinter you. And mm-hmm. and she said the, the way to approach everything going forward from this point on is like water. Be fluid, be adaptable. Something hard comes up, just flow right around it. Mm-hmm. And I would along the road. It was like there yeah, was one in particular. Teach you how to do that real fast. Right. Oh, that was intense. And I'm driving away and I'm processing it. <laughs> I'm sure something else will happen. Yeah. 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 So it happened. Uh-huh. It happened all the time. And sometimes I met it in that rigid structure and it, mm-hmm. it sucked. It was, it was so defeating and so just brutal in yeah. general. But yeah, once I started to apply that and I have to still remind myself all the time, mm. you know, that things happen and, um, whether they're meant to teach you a lesson or be something like really beautiful and um, how you adapt to it or how you flow around it is is really how Mm -hmm. the outcome is going to be. You know, I guess it's going to change the outcome. Yeah, and definitely your sort of perception of it, you know. I think that's also the trick to being fluid is like sometimes this will end up with a beautiful silver lining and it will teach me something very deep and sometimes it's going to teach me something that's just so fucking in front of my face (laughs) it's not deep at all it's just okay there it is you know and like to even be fluid in that space of like not everything has to have this beautiful spiritual lining you know which i think is very valuable (laughs) yeah i agree (laughs) yeah okay what's coming up for music at the shop or anything that's like communal space for you. I feel like you're great at holding that communal space for all different mediums of creativity, which is a unique skill in itself. Yeah, the music has been, that was kind of like a side project. I mean, like right at the beginning of the space, I put that little stage in up there mm-hmm. thinking, you know, you'd have some poetry jams and yeah. some music a little bit here and there. And it's just kind of grown into... You know, having 10 people to show up at the first show to fill in the whole space and mm-hmm. um, seeing, like, strangers that walk into that space and listen to, like, listen to a show and then oh, walk cool. out knowing each other. Yeah. You know, it's, that, I think that's really, really satisfying to watch and see in this small community mm-hmm. kind of bridging some of those gaps of divide because mm-hmm. it's going to happen in small yeah. community. It's just, it's just kind of inevitable. But uh, uh, this summer, we've kind of taken a little bit of a break um, from the shows. We had a couple really amazing ones, and then uh, a couple months off. And now, September uh, the 17th, we're going to have Liza McCain, mm-hmm. and then uh, on the 22nd. So it's kind of a almost like back-to-back week of shows, uh, the second Wind Endeavor. Cool is going to be playing he's local here in town and oh nice have had him play with his band in the past i think he's going to be playing solo mm-hmm. um and yeah looking forward to all of it but yeah awesome thank you for tuning in to the Rhizocast. if you love this episode please download subscribe share it and pass it along to a friend please subscribe to our Rhizo magazine subscription at 
www.rizomagazine.com. You can find Sue Hunt's work, your host, at www.suehunt.com. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information, education, and artistic inspiration. Rizo is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.